When I was about five years old, one day I was sitting at home in the living room watching TV. My, my mom came into the room and she was a little startled. She looked over at the uh, window that was behind me and she saw that the curtain and the curtain rod that was hanging above the window had been completely pulled off of the wall and was hanging down on the floor. She pointed at it and she said, Alice, what happened? And I looked up from the TV and kind of went, ah, I, I don't know. It was like that when I got here. She turned to the TV, looked at what I was watching, and saw that it was Tarzan, and she put two and two together and realized I tried swinging from the curtains like Tarzan from the vines. You know, you don't have to be physically present when an event occurs to know with a high degree of certainty what actually happened, right? She could figure out what went on by looking at the available evidence. She didn't have to be there when it took place to know that I had pulled the curtains off of the wall. It's possible to investigate the evidence for yourself, even if you're not an eyewitness. And this morning, we're going to look at three pieces of evidence that Jesus truly rose from the dead. And if that is true, then what might that mean for our lives? Welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Alice. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so great to have you here for this Baptism Sunday. A warm welcome to guests that are joining us, friends and family who've been invited to participate in this important moment in your family members' lives. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We are continuing in our series through Luke's Gospel. It is one of the four biographical accounts that we have of Jesus' life. And this morning, we're actually going to finish Luke's Gospel. Well, kind of. We're going to look at the last few verses of Luke's Gospel, and then next week we're going to go back to chapter 10, where we left off before Easter. And today, Luke is going to make his kind of final case for the central fact of the Christian faith that Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And in the case that Luke makes, he's going to give us three reasons, three pieces of evidence, and then he's going to give us three responses to that reality. If you believe that is true, here are three ways you should respond. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 33. We're going to like, read a few verses at a time. It'd be helpful to pull up your phone or a Bible, have it in front of you so you can see the context. If you do want to use a pew Bible, there's Bibles in the pews. It's on page 885, 885. It's also going to be on the screen so you can follow along there. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 33. While you're turning there, just want to highlight something real quick. Pastor Mark announced it in his blog a couple of weeks ago. Beginning next Sunday, we're going to move our kids' check-in area down to the Hebrews coffee shop. What this is going to enable us to do is make that hallway where the nursery is more secure and in order to do that, we're actually going to close door C on Sunday mornings. Now, that'll affect those of you who normally come in and out through door C. So families, you'll probably want to park down this end and then enter this way into the church. Check your kids in in Hebrews. But if you are a blue badge holder, you normally park down there and you need access through door C, call the front desk this week. We'll ask a couple of questions and get you to sign something. We'll give you a key card so you can still use those blue badge spaces and get into the church. Thanks for keeping our kids safe. Uh, we're glad that we're enabled to do that. So Luke 24, beginning in verse 33, picking up actually right after where Pastor Mark left off last week. We're on that very first Easter Sunday 
After the women had found the empty tomb that morning, later on that day, Jesus met two people on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Cleopas and one other unnamed person. And they didn't know it was Jesus. He walked with them. They invited him into their house. And when Jesus broke bread in their house, their eyes were opened and they saw, it's Jesus. And then Jesus vanished. And we pick it up right at that moment. Verse 33. And they, that's the two, Cleopas and one, one other, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they, the two, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Luke tells us that Cleopas and and his partner, they they rush back from Emmaus to Jerusalem, back to the room where the 11 apostles and the others were gathered together. They burst in through the doors and just as about they're about to share this news, we've seen Jesus, he's alive, they're cut off because those who are there have news to share. They now know that Jesus is risen. Why? Because he appeared to Simon. Simon, who's more often called Peter. And now we have three people in this account, the two on the road and Peter, who have seen the resurrected Jesus for themselves. And the group have begun to believe Jesus really is risen from the dead. This man that we've given our lives to, we followed for three years. We thought he was dead, but he's alive again. And then Jesus himself appears in their midst. As the group are talking, Jesus comes before them and he says, peace to you. And this is the first piece of evidence we have that Luke gives us in this account of why we should believe Jesus rose from the dead. And the first thing is this, martyrs, martyrs. All those who were gathered together were witnesses. We actually read that verse 48 later on. You are witnesses of these things. Do you know what the Greek word for witness is? It's martyros. New Testament was originally written in Greek. Martyros, from which we get the English word martyr. Those who were gathered together were witnesses, martyros. But interestingly, almost all of them went on to be martyrs. Why? Because they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they were willing to give their lives for that. Listen to some of these. Andrew was crucified. Thomas, he was killed by soldiers. Philip was killed by a Roman ruler. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James was stoned and clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot was killed in Persia when he refused to sacrifice to the sun god. And Simon Peter, he was crucified upside down. All these men, they were witnesses, but they went on to be martyrs. And this is the first piece of evidence I think Luke gives us in this passage that Jesus rose from the dead. Luke actually gives us the names of the people who had seen Jesus. He calls them the 11. And earlier on in the gospel, he names who those men are. And we know from history that almost all of those 11 went on to die for their belief that Jesus had risen. Now, people will die for all sorts of things, right? People will die for their country. People will die for their family. 
But people don't die for something they know is a lie. And so if these men were willing to die for this, then they must have believed it was true. They must have believed that Jesus was risen. In fact, earlier on that day, they didn't believe that. Back in verse 11, when the women came back from the tomb, we read, but these words seemed to them, that's to the apostles, the 11, they seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Earlier that morning, they didn't believe Jesus has risen from the dead, but something changed between that moment and the moment when they gave their lives as martyrs for this belief. They came to believe that Jesus really, truly rose from the dead. And that is the first piece of evidence that Luke gives us in this passage that Jesus has risen. Martyrs. He names those who went on to give their lives for this belief. The second piece comes as we keep reading. Verse 37. Look down with me. But they, that's the uh, 11 and others, were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, a ghost. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and, and my feet that it's I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, Jesus said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. So at first, those who were gathered together were frightened. They thought, this is a ghost, it's a spirit. But Luke is at pains to give us more evidence for us to believe that Jesus truly physically rose from the dead. He goes on to say that Jesus invited those gathered to touch his body, to see this is real. I'm not a spirit. You can touch it. You can touch my hands. You can touch my feet. And then Jesus goes a step further. He does something that no ghost can do. He eats a meal. And that's the second piece of evidence that Luke gives us. First, martyrs. Second, meals. Jews did not believe that ghosts ate or drank. And so to prove that he really was physically risen from the dead, that he was in a human body, a physical human body, Jesus asks them, do you have anything to eat? It's actually quite informal. It's more like, you got any leftovers? And they produce a piece of broiled fish, and Jesus proceeds to eat it. The claim that Luke is making is that the resurrected Jesus isn't just a spiritual being. Jesus didn't just spiritually rise from the dead, but his physical body rose back to life, and he now lives in that body, transformed in a, in a new way. Yes, you can still see the scars, but he's not in pain anymore, but it's physical. He can still eat. He's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. He's a physical person risen from the dead. So that's the second piece of evidence that Luke gives us. First martyrs, second meals. Jesus was physically risen. He actually ate something. And the third piece of evidence comes in the next verses, verse 44. And then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. 
Now, Jesus goes on to explain to those gathered there what he'd already explained to the two on the road to Emmaus, and that is that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the first three quarters of the Bible as we have it right now, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that all of those scriptures pointed to Jesus and they were fulfilled in Jesus. And in particular, they prophesied many, many things about Jesus's life. And the most important of those is that Jesus would suffer, he would die, and he would rise again on the third day. And this is the third piece of evidence that Luke gives us that Jesus is risen. First martyrs, second meals, third manuscripts. Manuscripts. The Jewish scriptures proclaimed, prophesied many things about Jesus' life. They said he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. He was. They said that he would come from the, the line of King David, the family of King David. He was. They said as a child he would flee to Egypt with his family. He did. They said he would come back and live in Nazareth in Galilee. He did just that. All these things were prophesied in the Old Testament. But more than that, the most key prophecies in the Old Testament surrounded Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection on the third day. Here's some examples of them. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This was hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesied that he was going to suffer for us, for our sins, for our wounds. And then, not just prophecies that he would suffer and die, but that he would rise again. Psalm 16 verse 10 says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's hell, or let your Holy One see corruption. That means Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. He wasn't going to be abandoned by God, but he was going to come back to life. And we even have it prophesied on which day Jesus would come back to life. Couple of ways. Jonah, do you remember the story of Jonah who got swallowed by the great fish? How many days was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Three. Three days. We believe that's a prophecy of how many days Jesus was going to be in the grave. And Hosea the prophet writes this, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. The scriptures of the Old Testament, Jesus says, prophesy about him. And in particular, they tell the Jews that the Christ, that's who Jesus is, is going to suffer and die and rise again on the third day, on that day that they are together. And Jesus says, do you, do you not get this? This is there. This shouldn't be a surprise. I am really alive. And so Luke gives us three reasons to believe that Jesus is alive in this passage. Martyrs, meals, manuscripts. Martyrs, the apostles witnessed Jesus' resurrection and they were willing to die for it. They so believed it. People don't die for a lie. They die for something they know is true. Meals. Jesus physically ate a meal. He's a, a physical body. He's not a ghost. He physically rose from the dead. And manuscripts. All of this was prophesied in the Old Testament. This, this was something that had been talked about for hundreds of years shouldn't be a surprise. Three reasons Luke gives us, three pieces of evidence that Jesus really is risen. And actually, this is just scratching the surface. There is so much more evidence for this central fact of the Christian faith. And, and if you're here and you're going, okay, I hear that, but I don't quite buy it, 
then I'd encourage you to do some more research. One great way you could do that is through a book called The Case for Christ. It's written by a former law court journalist named Lee Strobel. He was a, an atheist, and, and his wife challenged him and said, hey, I think you should turn your kind of law journalism mind towards the evidence that Jesus really existed and that he died and that he rose again. And so Lee did just that. And as he investigated the evidence, he came to the conclusion that if this evidence was presented in a court of law, a jury would have to side with the verdict that Jesus rose from the dead. There's many, many more pieces of evidence that Jesus actually was dead. That this wasn't a hallucination of the disciples. That something took place to transform their lives. If you want to read more about it, go check out that book. So, Luke gives us three pieces of evidence to believe Jesus is risen. Martyrs, meals, and manuscripts. But then he goes on to give us three responses. If you believe Jesus is risen, how should you respond to that belief? First of those responses comes in verse 47. Jesus is still speaking, and he says this, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, that is in the name of the Christ, in Jesus' name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Jesus has opened the apostles' mind to understand the scriptures, and then he says, you guys are, are witnesses to these things. You've seen it for yourself. And now you understand the scriptures prophesied about this. You need to go out and proclaim this reality to the nations. And you need to invite them to repent so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and that they might receive the new life that is on offer to them. So this is the first of three responses. And the first response Jesus gives is to proclaim. Those who believe Jesus is risen are to proclaim this reality. Now, I think for many of us, we find proclaiming the good news about Jesus quite hard. I think some of that has to do with the, the, the culture we find ourselves in and the ways and methods that we've been using or have been taught to proclaim the good news. Many in our culture are cynical about absolute claims of truth. And, and, and many in our, our nation are sick and tired of seeing the church say one thing and do the complete opposite. Christians say one thing and do the complete opposite. Yet we're still called to proclaim the truth that Jesus is risen to this world. So how can we do that in a way that it doesn't just fall on deaf ears? How can we communicate this message in a way that, that gets through? Well, Craig Springer, the author of How to Revive Evangelism, Craig's preached here at Chapel Hill a couple of times. He believes, based on a, a study conducted by the Barna Research Group, that in today's society, proclamation works best in the context of conversation. In other words, our proclamation cannot simply be a, a one-way transfer of information, but it must be a two-way conversation in which we both listen to the viewpoint of the other person as well as share our own viewpoint. You know, that's why I love Alpha so much. Alpha seeks to create that safe space for conversation, a, a judgment-free environment in which people who hold any viewpoint can come and examine the Christian faith for themselves. It does this by having participants watch a high-quality documentary-style video in which the Christian viewpoint is shared, and then it creates space for conversation around tables where any viewpoint is welcome. 
Anyone can share whatever they like. In this way, participants feel like they're, they're truly heard, whilst at the same time having the opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. Many of the, the new members that you saw standing before you this morning recently went through Alpha, and for many of them, this was a, a transformative experience, a chance for, for them with some of the hurts that they had from their past to come and explore the Christian faith in a safe environment and in which they discovered for themselves, wow, this really is true, and not only that, but it makes a difference in my life. It gives me a sense of purpose, It gives me a a place to belong, a community to be a part of, and it gives me a sense of peace that I found nowhere else. On Wednesday, we launched a youth alpha with our middle schoolers. We had 104 students show up on Wednesday. Loads of them don't go to church. They're hearing the good news about Jesus and having that opportunity for conversation around tables. And Alpha isn't just for students. On Tuesday, the night before, in partnership with six other churches, we launched an Alpha for adults at Cutter's Point Coffee Shop. It was tremendous. Many people came to explore the Christian faith for themselves. And there's still time to invite someone to come. So if you know a middle schooler who'd like to come on Wednesday nights, invite them to come. If you know someone older than that who'd like to come to Cutter's Point on Tuesday nights, someone who you're thinking, I would love to be able to proclaim the good news about Jesus to them. I just don't know how to. How, how can I share this? Alpha creates that space. Say to them, hey, would you come with me? I'm going to Alpha. Would you come and join me? It's this safe place where, where you can explore life and faith and, and purpose and, and meaning. Would you come and join me for adults Tuesday night, 6.30, Cutter's Point? You can find out more information on our, our website about all of that. So, if Jesus is alive, if you believe it, the first response is to proclaim. And the second response comes in verse 49. Jesus keeps spe- uh, speaking. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Next, Jesus instructs his disciples to remain in Jerusalem until he pours out his power upon them. And this power he calls the promise of the Father. And we find out elsewhere in the scriptures the name of that person that will be poured out upon them. And that person's name is the Holy Spirit. And this is the second response to the fact that Jesus is alive. First, we proclaim. Second, we procure. Now, Luke lists this one second, but but technically it comes first. You see, the work of proclamation the disciples have to do, they can't do that in their own strength. Before they begin, Jesus says, you've got to remain in Jerusalem and await the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The disciples must procure the promised power from God before they begin their proclamation. And although we are not awaiting the initial reception of the Holy Spirit, like those apostles, we believe that we should continue to procure the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he commanded them to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we'll often pray, come Holy Spirit, in our worship services like we did last last weekend. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and lives in us. And we can 
have more of the Holy Spirit if we are willing to ask. Come, Holy Spirit. This isn't just a prayer you can pray when we're gathered together in worship. It's a prayer you can pray all the time, any day, in any environment. I, I find myself praying it when, when I feel the emotions rising in a situation and I, I feel like I know I'm going to respond badly here. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring your peace. Give me the power to respond the way that Jesus would. I know for many it's a prayer they pray every morning. Every morning, maybe even getting down on their knees, putting out their hands and saying, come, Holy Spirit, I need you today, Holy Spirit. I can't do this without you. Now, to be clear, if, if you believe in Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit. We're not asking the Holy Spirit to come for the first time. But at Chapel Hill, we believe you can experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to greater or lesser degrees. And that when you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, God graciously gives his Spirit to us in more powerful and present ways. And so, if you believe Jesus is alive, procure the power of the Spirit on a regular basis. Ask him to come and fill you, to be with you, empower you. So that's the first two responses. There's one more. First was proclaim, second was procure. The third response comes in the final verses. Verse 50, and Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, the events described in these four verses that I just read, they take place 40 days after the verses that we've read before, 40 days after that first Easter Sunday. And during that time, Jesus appeared to many of his followers. In fact, on one occasion, he appeared to more than 500 of his followers at once. But in one final appearance, Jesus leads those who he appeared to out to the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem, and he bodily ascends into heaven. He's carried up into heaven. And then, after Jesus ascends, Luke records one action of the disciples that up to this point they had never done. Luke says, and they worshipped him. That is, they worshipped Jesus. And this is our third and final response to the reality that Jesus is alive. Proclaim, procure, and third, praise. Jesus' disciples praised and worshipped Jesus himself. For Jews, God alone was the only person worthy of worship and praise. They were not to praise or worship anyone or anything other than God. And up to this point in his gospel, Luke's gospel, he's only ever recorded people worshiping God the Father as a result of the works that Jesus has done. But here, after Jesus ascends into heaven, he records that the disciples worshiped not God the Father, but they worshiped Jesus himself, and that therefore means they believed Jesus was God. Jesus was God, risen from the grave. And our response to that reality is to praise and worship him. If we believe Jesus really is God in the flesh, if we believe that he came, he took our sin upon himself, he died the death that we deserve to die, 
By his wounds, we've been healed. If we believe that he's risen from the grave and that that same spirit that raised him to new life has been given to us, if we believe that to be true, our response is to praise and worship Jesus as God. And we're going to do that in a moment. We're going to praise and worship Jesus, our risen king, through singing. But singing isn't the only way we can praise God. One of our other acts of worship is baptism. And this morning, we're going to be baptizing many persons in the name of that risen Jesus. And it's not too late for you or your children to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If you have never been baptized or or you have a child who's never been baptized and you believe that Jesus is alive, you want to give your life to him and you want to be a part of his church, then I want to invite you, once I start praying at the end of this message, to head on around to the coffee shop around the corner there meet with one of our elders and share with them, I want to be baptized today, or I'd like my child to be baptized today. They'll ask you some questions. Just make sure today's the right day for us to baptize you. And if it is, or or, or to baptize your children, if it is, we'll, we'll do that right here this morning. So as soon as I start praying in just a moment, head on around the corner and meet with one of our elders. If you want to be baptized or you have a child you would like to be baptized. Those of you who've already registered, hang tight. I'm going to pray, we'll sing a song, and then we'll invite you up. Church, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And we can be sure of this. There are many, many pieces of evidence for this. Luke gives us just three this morning. Martyrs, meals, and manuscripts. Martyrs. There were people who saw Jesus and were willing to give their life for that belief that he was risen. Meals. Jesus truly physically rose. He ate. He's not a spiritually risen person. He's a physically risen person. And third manuscripts. The Old Testament prophesied this. It was there all along. And if this is true, if Jesus is risen, there are three responses for us. Proclaim, procure, and praise. Proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive to this world. Procure the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And praise Jesus as God. And if you want to praise Jesus by being baptized or having your child baptized, go on, head right now around the corner to Hebrews, and we're going to pray together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the tremendous gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to humble himself, to take on human flesh, the eternally existent son of God, was willing to limit himself, have his wings clipped, and come down to us. And that more than that, he was willing to suffer and die on our behalf. Our sin had separated us from you. But Jesus took our sin upon himself. And we give you praise and worship for that. But that wasn't the end of the story. On the third day, you raised him to life again by the Spirit that you have poured out upon us. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is now alive and lives in us. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in our lives. In particular, come on those who are being baptized today. Pour yourself out upon them and fill them up. And Lord, would we, as a result, praise Jesus as our God, as our risen King. You are worthy of all the glory all the worship, all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's get on our feet. We're going to worship, praise him together.
a sinful lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
ready for some baptisms, we are going to invite all of our people and kids who are getting baptized and their families to come on up. This is a great celebration for the church. It's going to be crowded up here.